month. Uh, for some of you that don't know, I had spine surgery uh, a little over four weeks ago, so I had uh, tons and tons of restrictions in which I had to uh, be following. I'm not at 100% yet. I start physical therapy this week, so hopefully we'll get there, but I'm feeling a lot better. Uh, one thing that I did want to say, amen. I wanted to thank each and every one of you guys who reached out to me and my family through text, through phone calls, those who provided uh, meals for our, especially those first two weeks, it was difficult, very challenging. And so uh, if you gave me Tupperware, I've got it for you in the back. I'd like to hand that back to you guys. Uh, but just thank you. Thank you. It meant so much. Sometimes people don't understand just how a simple meal uh, just kind of just changes the mood of things. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much, and kind of got used to that, actually, for the first two weeks of just not worrying about what to cook or eat. Uh, but I'm so excited to be back. Uh, I, I was supposed to have the surgery later uh, in, in the month, uh, but I, that would have took me out for Easter. And I, so I said, I told the doctor, we've got to do this sooner. So I think there's a little too much echo here. i got to get back sooner so that I can be here for Easter. So we got three weeks, uh, including this Sunday, before Easter Sunday, uh, and so I want to go on ahead and just, as Anthony says, challenge you uh, to invite friends, family members who just need desperately to hear the word of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, and so I'm going to continue. I, I know that I kind of spoiled you with the guests. Uh, and, and give it up for the guest preachers, pastors who came in. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Tom Fitzmorris from New Life Norwich. I'm not going to be running around like he was. He's older than me. He's got a lot more energy. Uh, but he was such a blessing to help us out for two weeks. Uh, Pastor Don Kaufman from New Life uh, Oak Lawn, who came out and, to help us out. And then last week, we had our very own elder, uh, Jose Gonzalez, bring the word. It is so good. People don't understand. Uh, uh, you sometimes don't understand how fortunate uh, we are as a church. A lot of pastors can't do something like this, where they can be away for a whole month, and yet the church is still operating uh, but it's because we are part of a team, over 27 locations all over the city for the good of the city. And we have people here that we have raised up as well to help lead the charge. Amen. So thank God uh, for each and every one of them. Uh, and there's sacrifices. It is a sacrifice to have to now go to a different location. Those pastors that came here, they didn't just preach here and go home. They preached here and then they went to their locations to preach as well. And so uh, thank God for them. Uh, but I'm going to jump right in into this series in which we still have two weeks uh, left of uh, that is titled Parables. We are in week five of seven, uh, and I, I'm happy to be back to at least preach two of them. I, before I left, you guys said, man, I'm going to be gone throughout this parable series, and I just love the parables of Jesus. And so I'm going to be able to talk to you guys today about one, and then next week we'll cap it off. But before we do that, let's close our eyes, uh, let us pray, and let us uh, bring this time uh, in which the Lord wants to speak to us, uh, let's bring it up before him. Amen? Father God, we come before you. We thank you for this opportunity in which you've given us to be here together, gathered, Father God, in this building, Lord Jesus, worshiping you, Lord, uh, and now about to hear your word, God. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us whatever it is that you have to speak to us today, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would help us push aside all of the distractions uh, whatever it is fighting for our attention right now, Lord, that we would push that to the side, God. I pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes to see what it is that you want to show us today in this text. I pray, Lord, that you would open up our ears to listen to whatever it is that you want to tell us. God, that you would soften up our hearts, Lord, so that we can receive 
the seeds of your word today so they can be implanted in our hearts, Father. And I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, right now, Lord, I humbly come before you to present this word that you've given me to your church, Father God, Lord. May this be a word, Lord, that they would absorb and apply in their daily lives. All of this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and the church of God says, amen. As you may have known, some one of the preachers may have told you, but the parables of Jesus were stories in which he told to help illustrate spiritual truths to everyday life. Sometimes we can preach the word of God or I can share uh, things from the Bible and you can kind of get it but not get it. But Jesus did such a great job in these parables where he took real life things that were regular things in the people's lives, and he kind of applied it to a story in a way that they would understand it. Jesus' parables consisted of seeds, fish, trees, bread. You see, for the people back then, and even for us today, these were things that, were, uh, that could, they can easily relate to. And while the parables that he, he told, they, they sparked spiritual understanding in some of the people, like people would listen to these parables, and some of them would be like, ah, oh, man, now I get it. Now I understand. They also serve to make people aware of, to be made aware of kind of like their spiritual darkness, like where they were at. While the parables reveal spiritual truth through practical illustrations, regardless of rather not sowing seeds hit personally to you. Like, yeah, I get that. I understand. I'm a, I'm a farmer or I like to garden. Just like the original audience, the parables, when you pay attention to them, they required us, and listen to this, Jesus' parables required us to, 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 to really decide rather if we were going to press into or if we were going to turn away from what it is that the scriptures was telling us. Will we respond like all of those disciples? See, many of us are focused on 12 disciples, but the Bible says Jesus had many other disciples that were following him. But when Jesus started speaking these radical words, the Bible says that many of them turned away. Will we be like that when we listen to these parables? Or will we be people who were like Peter or people like Nicodemus or people like the woman at the well? That when we hear these parables, when we hear Jesus telling us the hard facts, we choose that even though they're hard for us to swallow these words, we choose to follow him no matter what. Today we're going to look at a parable that is very well known. Many of us know. And it is titled, The Parable of the Good Samaritan. We find this parable in the book of Luke now. A lot of times when I'm going to preach a sermon to you guys, I like to see, okay, where's the story from and what's the setting? What happened before to bring us to this point? Luke, uh, in this case, doesn't provide any, any background to the exchange that we're about to listen to. What we do know that is that apparently Jesus was teaching in, in a public setting when a lawyer decides to kind of try to test Jesus and ask Jesus two questions. These two questions, were, which are big questions, which are the questions in which we are going to dissect. The first one that the lawyer, that the lawyer asked is, is, what is it that I have to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And then later on, he says, who is my neighbor? 
If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up with me to the book of Luke chapter 10. We're going to be going through 25, through verses 25 through 37. And I'm going to go on ahead and, and, and start reading the beginning of this discussion. Verse 25 says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. You know how I said a lawyer? Well, some translation says, says lawyer, some says it's expert law. It really what it was, it wasn't a lawyer who goes on ahead and defends your case. It was, it was someone who really took their time to study the law. He says this, teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replies. Jesus says, how is it that you read it? Verse 27, he answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And he says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, Jesus says this. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Let's take a moment and let's dissect that. First question, what is it that I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? You see, the man who stood up, this lawyer, this religious expert, he stands up. To ask Jesus a question, he knows the law, and he is kind of asking Jesus this question to a point to, to really, the Bible tells us clearly, is not because he just really wants to know, because he's a seeker. He's asking him this question because he says, man, I want to try to make Jesus look dumb in front of these people. He was an expert in the Jewish law. What's the law? The law was the set of rules that God gave to the Israelites through Moses. A part of that law was the Ten Commandments. That was included in the law. You find them really in, in, in those earlier uh, books of the, of the Old Testament. The law included the Ten Commandments, as I said, and many of the rules that consisted of the law was found in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of those in the Old Testament. Man, and if you really start looking at all those, it's a lot of rules. Lots and lots of rules. You see, the law was God's way of showing the Israelites how it was that they were to live in a way that was going to be pleasing to God. And how it was that, they, that those laws could help prevent sin from creating that separation between a sinful man and a holy God. But, of course, those of you who are familiar with the Word of God understand that there's no way that we were humanly possible able to keep all of the law. And see, that's the big thing, and Jesus is kind of going to kind of get there. Listen, if you were going to try to get to heaven by following the laws, that means you had to follow each and every single one of them. Many of us have problems following the rules of the road. Either we forgot the rules or we just like, yeah, I know. There's times where I'm in a parking lot. You know, when you're in a, in a store, grocery store parking lot, you've got the, you know, the, 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 you know, the parking spots or whatever. I pull right up. And every once in a while, shame on me, but I'll just pull in front of the, uh, the, the one that's empty in front of me just to get to where I want to go. And my son's like, Dad, you broke the law. We're not really good 
at keeping the law. It's not easy. People's sinful nature would continue to destroy their relationship with God. And so that's why God allowed people to make sacrifices to go on ahead and atone for the sins that they have committed. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so they had to atone for that. What does atone mean? Atone was to make up for something that you had done wrong. I'll give you a quick example. If I went to your house and you have a plate of cookies and I was hungry and I ate all your cookies, well, there's no way that I can undo that. I can't go on ahead and give you back the cookies that I ate that really belonged for a party that you were going to go to. But what I could do is I can atone for them by saying, you know what, I'll bake some more cookies. I'll go on ahead and bake some more cookies. And this was the same case for sin. We can't undo sin. When we commit sin, we commit sin. You can't undo it. But by his grace, God had allowed his people to atone for that sin. And in the way that they would do it back then is they would make special animal sacrifices. Sacrifices. That shedding of blood would be, would kind of just kind of help make things right a bit. By atoning, church, our relationship with God is restored and it is made right again. And eventually we see the ultimate atonement when Jesus Christ sheds his blood on that cross for us. Well, by the time Jesus had started traveling and, and teaching in his ministry, the issue was that the Pharisees, they had added so many extra rules to the original law that God had given. And so with all these already extensive amounts of rules that had to be followed, on top of whatever it was that the Pharisees were throwing in, you could understand that people around there that were trying to do the right thing were being very, very frustrated and crushed by all the rules that they had to keep. All day long, I could imagine many of them were probably worried about the laws that they were keeping, the laws that they were breaking. Is anyone going to see me break any of these laws? And so if you can imagine how interested people must have been when they're there gathered listening to, to Jesus' teaching and this expert law, uh, expert of, of the law stands up and he asks Jesus this question, what is it that we have to do so that we can live with God forever? You can imagine all the ears began to perk up, right? And that happened when, when you, you know, Sometimes you're in a conference or in a class or whatever, and they're saying, are there any questions? Are there any questions? And you're too shy to ask the question. You don't want to be the one that asks the question. You don't want to be the one that asks the dumb question. But someone asks the question that you were thinking, and right away your ears are perked up because you want to hear. I could imagine this was the case. But the man, like I said, he wasn't asking. Scripture shows us the man wasn't asking the question because he wanted to learn something from Jesus Christ. The legal expert thought, I already know the answer to this. But I want to see if I can kind of tangle him up so that everyone can get angry at him. He thought that he would be able to show the crowd that Jesus didn't know the law like he did. So what does Jesus do, man? Jesus was Lord and Savior, but he was a clever, clever, clever man. Jesus does this. He resisted the urge to give the man an answer. And what he said is, you know the law. Why does Jesus say, you know the law? Who is he talking to? An expert of the law. 
In other words, you know, Jesus cried. You know, I could imagine saying, well, don't you, you know, you know the law, right? What do you think it says about that answer to your question? So in other words, kind of, he asks Jesus a question, and Jesus just returns it right back. Well, the man goes on ahead, and he quotes from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 5, you can write that down and read that later on. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. He said, listen, Jesus, this, these are the two things. Since you're, since you're sending back the question to me, the answer is this. It's two things that we have to do. He says, first, we have to love God with everything that you have. And then he adds, and love your neighbor just as you love yourself. So he answers Jesus. He says, this is the way it is. And you know what? The answer that the legal legal expert gave him is completely right. It is right. According to the law, the answer that he gave is completely right. Jesus said to him, okay, all right. You know what the law says. Then he lays this down. Now do it. All right? You know what the law says. You seem to have it down pat, you expert of Jewish law. So do it. I think that when Jesus says this, it made the man nervous. It made him nervous because the legal expert knew. He knew that keeping the whole law is something that he could not do on his own strength. He just wasn't good enough or Strong enough to keep every single rule and regulation all of the time. And he knew that there could never be enough atonement that he would be able to do to cover all of the times that he broke the law. And Jesus knew this too. That's why he's throwing it right back at him. So if this is what you say has to be done, so do it. And he wanted though, Jesus just wasn't trying to make him look bad. Jesus wanted to show the man how badly it is that he needed someone to rescue him from his life of sin and disobedience to the law. You see, James chapter 4, verse 17 says this, when you know the good things you should do and don't do them, you sin. Let me say that again. When you know the good things you should do, and you don't do them, you sin. Meaning the moment you start having some knowledge of what you ought to do and not do, and you start disobeying that knowledge, then you sin. Jesus is reminding the man that there is no possible way to love God with everything that you have. Do you understand what it is that I'm saying? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your strength. Now, some of us are saying, well, I do that, Pastor. Really? Because the reality is, the last time I checked, all means all. That means there's no room in your heart for anything else. There's no room room for you to give any more strength to anything else. Because if you use all of something for this, there's nothing you can use from that all to do this. Because then that's not all. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow the law to get into heaven, that means you better give me 100% of every single thing 
of all your heart, of all your soul, of all your strength. Now, come on. Let's be real. We can't do that. You may trick yourself to thinking you can, and you may, do, you may do a good job at doing it. I'm not knocking that. But to give 100%, that's something you can't humanly do. You're not just sharing your heart. You, you're giving it all to God, then how about your family? How about your friends? How about all these other things that sometimes fight for our attention or for our love? The things that we love, possessions, money, where we want to be at in five years, ten years. You understand what I'm trying to say? That even though you're not making those things a primary uh, a goal for you, it's still in there somewhere, so you're not giving 100% to the Lord. There was no possible way to love God with everything that you have. There's no way for a sinful man or a, 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 or, or a sinful woman, woman to, to, to be able to also love others completely the way they love themselves. I'm sure you've got a couple people around your sphere that you love, maybe the way you love yourself. But outside of that circle, do you love your neighbor the way you love yourself? Do you love those that are in need the way you love yourself? You see, Jesus was making a simple point. If you want to get to heaven following these rules, then you have to do them all. If you want to, in other words, if you think that getting to heaven is based off of works, then you better do every single work completely right. Jesus is using, you know what he's doing? He's using scripture like a mirror. And I've talked to you guys many times and said the word of God, the Bible tells us, It's a mirror. You want to know how you're doing? Read the word of God. You want to know how far away from God you are? Read the word of God. He's holding up, holding it up. He's holding up that mirror up to the man, and he's asking him, listen, I want you to look at your life. He's asking him if he can can really keep the law and earn eternal life by obeying all of the rules and all of the applications that are in that word. See, that's where we get in trouble because then we, we start using Christianity really kind of as religion. Religion is a list of things we have to do. Christianity is designed to be what Jesus intended it to be, which was a relationship with Jesus Christ who has mercy and grace upon us, who has paid the penalty. He didn't come to override the law, but he came to fulfill the law, as the Bible says. And so, church, the question that I have for you today is, is it possible for anyone to lead a sinless life? I think we all know the answer to that. The answer is no. Just like the man that was asking Jesus the question about eternal life, we will always mess something up. We will always do something that separates us from God. We can count on that. And the reality is, if you're going based off of a, of a works system about what is, it, what is it that I am doing physically to gain merit with God, then eventually you will be like a hamster in a hamster wheel, running and running and running, and eventually getting tired and burnt out and jumping out. Because Jesus says, it's not by works. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 24 says, do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves, but do what it says, 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You see, the legal expert was someone who had listened to the law his whole life. Well, if anybody should have it all together, it should be this guy, right? right? There's some of us that says, man, I've read the Bible front to back five times already. Well, you should have it all down pat, right? But he wasn't really sure what it meant to actually follow. You see? He had studied the law from an early age and knows it all. He's quoting the Old Testament. Well, that's all they had up until that point anyhow. But what he was missing was, how do I actually follow what it is that I am learning and reading? When studying the law, he would probably just briefly examine his life like looking at a mirror, but then he would turn away from it without trying to live what it is that God was telling him to do, which would cause him to immediately forget his failure to keep the law because of whatever sin it was that he was possibly doing. He just didn't want to face what he saw in the mirror, which is possibly the reason why we get that passage. But then Jesus reminded the man to do what the law said. But the man gets nervous and he wondered, wait a minute, okay, so follow the law with all my heart, you know, okay, I got all that down. Uh, but I also told Jesus I have to love my neighbor the way I love myself. And since I told him that and he says I'm right, that's the way for me to have eternal life, then hold on, Jesus, I've got another quick question. He wanted to assure himself that he was already doing what it is that he needed to do for eternal life. So he asked another question and he says, hey, Jesus, uh, who is my neighbor? I can't help but think of Mr. Rogers every time. You see, maybe he thought Jesus would say, well, your neighbor is where your close friends and family are. Or, or, or maybe he was hoping Jesus would say, well, your neighbor are the legal scholars that are just like you. Or you know what? Yeah, your neighbor are just those that are in your culture and believe the things that you believe. So just the, your fellow Jews, those are your neighbors. The man probably wanted to believe that his neighbors were people that were easy to help. People who didn't require too much time or effort or money. See, the man wanted to feel good about what he saw in the mirror. So he wanted to look good in front of maybe his friends that were there in the crowd. But see, Jesus had a deeper truth to reveal to this man. You see, because maybe he was hoping, well, I hope that my neighbors, those that I'm already being good to. Something that could only be told through a parable we see here. See, because a parable is a, is a small story that contains big truths about the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, okay, you know what? Since I've got a crowd here and you want, you know, you're asking me these questions, let, let, let me bust a parable to you to help you understand. And this is what it is. Verse 29 of the book of Luke chapter 10. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? We see what the intentions of this guy was already. He, he asked these questions to test Jesus, and now when Jesus gives him an answer, now he wants to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
And when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by to the other side. A Levite was like kind of, a, a, of an assistant as well to the priest. Uh, so these are two things that should be, hey, there's hope. The pastor's coming. The pastor said, uh-uh, I'm going the other way. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. There's other translations, which I love, that says he had compassion on him. Verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which was about two days' worth of pay, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the one who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus asked the religious expert. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know what I love? There's so many things I could dissect here. There's so many things that I'm thinking about even before, you know, that I didn't even write. But here, we're, one quick thing that I want to mention to you is, listen, it's about not just reading. It's not just about understanding. It's not just about filling yourself with head knowledge. But it's also about doing. Jesus understands that this guy has the head knowledge, but he's saying, are you doing? Are you applying what it is that you learned? See, the parable must have come as a big shock to this legal expert. Because in the story, what we see is the first two men who noticed the victims, you know what? You know who they were? They were Jews, just like the man who had been robbed. They're their, their same culture, their same religion. First, Jesus shows that it's a priest and then a Levite that they come by the dying victim on the road, but then instead of going and attending to, and you can get technical and theological about this as well because, you know, we see that a part of the laws also, it was really that the, the priest could not go and touch a dead corpse. So maybe the priest thought, some people said that he was dead and didn't want to touch him because then he would have to go through all these ceremonial cleansings to get himself back into order. But let's, for this sake, let's just say what it is. He didn't even go to him. He went to the other side. He didn't call for help. He went to the other side alongside with the Levite as well who did the same thing. The interesting thing is they both crossed to the other side. They both kept walking. They both kept saying, that's not my issue. The victim was obviously hurt. He needed help. The priest and the Levite, they were very religious men who knew the law. They knew all about the law, yet they wouldn't help the poor injured man at all. In fact, these two men, probably because the Bible says that that road was from going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it's quite possible that they had 
already been doing their religious duties, maybe worshiping God and performing their, their, their duties at the temple, but they wanted nothing to do with the person who needed help so bad. They knew the law backwards and forwards, but they had no idea what it meant to really, really keep it. They didn't know what it meant to have a close, loving relationship with God. And who's the one who actually helps the man in need? The priest, the Levites, the other Jews, the Samaritans. Why is this a big deal? Why is this a big deal? Some of you guys say, well, I don't know. It's a Samaritan. What's a Samaritan? Well, Samaritans were people who lived in an area called Samaria. As a matter of fact, the woman that God speaks to at the well, she was from that same region. Now, Samaritan wasn't a Jew. In fact, Jews and Samaritans, they were actually, guess what? Enemies. They didn't like each other. They didn't agree on very much regarding religion. There's a whole lot of theology that, that, that goes along with the wise. They didn't like each other. But in reality, the Jews would look at Samaritans as, as, as like half-breeds. Like, you know what? You guys are dirty, man. I, I, we don't want nothing to do with you. We are the ones that has, have the true law. We are the ones that are God's fully chosen uh, 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 um, children. We're not mixed with Gentile blood. So the fact that it's a Samaritan that goes and helps a Jew is what starts getting people's attention. The Samaritan had something, listen to this, that the Jewish priest and the Levite didn't have. You know what it was? Compassion. This Samaritan had compassion. Compassion is really feeling the pain or sadness that someone else feels. And wanting more than anything to do anything to help that person who is in need. The Samaritan felt sorry for the man who had been beaten. And, and he stopped in his tracks to help him. Maybe the priest had, a, had an appointment. He had to hurry up and go do. He didn't have time. Maybe the Levite had to get to where they had to get to. They had things they had to do. I can't stop and deal with this right now. But the Samaritan has compassion. The Samaritan's walking with his donkey or on his donkey. He's got things he's got to do, but yet he stops and takes care of him. The Samaritan didn't have a first aid kit in his saddlebag. He didn't even have probably any medical training. He didn't have a way to call a doctor and an ambulance to go on ahead and pick up this, this, this guy who had been beaten. But he knew that the victim needed bad help badly. So he got to work. And you know what he does? He uses the resources that he had to take care of him. You know, sometimes we can think of all the excuses why not to help someone in need. I don't have the money. Or, I, you know, I, I, I just don't have the time. This guy uses whatever it is that he has. The Samaritan had a little wine and some oil and a, and a little bit of cloth. So he goes on ahead and he uses those things to to clean the man's wounds and, and to use them to bandage them up. Then he goes on ahead and he probably gently places that brittle man on top of his donkey and, and walks him to an inn where he knew uh, that the man could get some rest. 
Then the Samaritan took out two silver coins and he paid the innkeeper to look after him. But not only that, even at that point, I think Jesus makes a good, a good point to, to tell us, the audience, that even at that, he could have said, all right, I fulfilled my duty, I'm gone. But no, he says, you know what, I'll be back in a couple days. Here's some money, take care of him, but I'll be back in a couple days to look to see how he's doing and I will repay you anything else that ex- exhausted those two denarii that I gave you going well and above and beyond of what he had to do for this man that was considered an enemy. The Samaritan made a lot of personal sacrifices to help the man who had been beaten. He used his own supplies to treat the wounds. He used his own money to pay the innkeeper. He took a lot of time to help him, and he promised to devote even more time great example is of, of, of this kind word that we use so much. Man, if you really want to help somebody, you're going to take whatever time you can carve out to help them. And this was no easy thing for the Samaritan to do. And he did it all without grumbling and complaining. It's easy to think of people in our neighborhood as our neighbors. It's easy to think of our friends and our family as our neighbors. It's easy to think of people who are just like us as our neighbors. This is what I, I'm assuming because God can, Jesus can probably see the heart of this man. He knew what he was getting at. And he can see that, you know what, your issue with loving your neighbor is that you can love those that are around you, but can you love those that are, that, that, that are not in your inner circle? And when Jesus told this parable, he asked, which of the three do you think was a neighbor to the man who had been attacked by the robbers. Do you see how Jesus changed the question that the legal expert had asked him? The expert had asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus goes on ahead and says, the real question should be, who am I a neighbor to? The Samaritan had shown real love and compassion to someone that was in need. The expert in law had looked the other way knowing that the law was not enough. To love your neighbor as yourself, you have to put it into practice. You have to show love to those who are in need. And at the end of the parable, Jesus goes on ahead and he gave a very simple instruction. He says, go and do as he did. Go and do as he did. But how can we do that? How can we do, how can we exemplify exactly what this good Samaritan did? Because it's not always easy to love people the way that we should. In John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus says this, Here is my command, love each other just as I have loved you. You understand how difficult it is to do this? Because, man... We sure love to say, man, thank you that the Lord of Lords, King of Kings loves me. It's comforting, right, to know that Jesus loves you, that God loves you, that you are loved. It's it's easy to do that. But then it becomes difficult now where when Jesus tells us now, that same love that I give you, I need you to give that to others. Now, oh, that's a whole different story. It's not easy. Well, why isn't it easy? Well, Pastor, you don't know the way they've talked about me. You don't know what it is that they've done to me. 
you don't know how many times they, they haven't fought, you know, they haven't gone all the way through with whatever it is that they told me they were going to do. You don't know how they look at me. You don't know how they avoid me. Take all of those things and you can put that as well into your relationship with God. How many times have you looked the other way? How many times have you looked at something else that looks better? How many times have you chased other things that separated you from God, but yet you still want to be loved by God? God says, and I do love you. I love you so much that I gave my life for you. So you need to return that love to others. If we're trying to go on ahead and love other people with our own strength, I'm telling you all this because it's a very hard thing to do. Some of us can't even love those that are in our inner circle, let alone outside. We might be tempted to just look the other way like the priest and the Levite did. But when we remember, church, listen to this, and I'll be ending soon, how much love Jesus showed us when he died on the cross. When we can remember that, we, that ought to be our natural response to be able to take that love and pass it on to other people as well. It's like Jesus is pouring his love into our hearts, and we pour it back into the lives of others. You see, but it's hard to do that if you're not abiding in Christ. The only way that you can really pour out your love for other people is if you are really connected to Jesus Christ where he's pouring his love out to you. Then you become like a cup that's overflowing. And when it overflows, it goes to others. But guess what? It doesn't take much effort to give others love when you are connected to the source of love, and that is God. Jesus was the perfect neighbor to us, taking care of us when we were helpless to take care of ourselves, healing our sin wounds when we were powerless to go on ahead and heal them ourselves. You see, Jesus wants us to see anyone in need, anyone that is anywhere is our neighbor. He wants us to see that. Wherever we see people hurt, he wants us to show them compassion. Why? Because Jesus showed compassion to us. I remember the time in, in the Bible where, where Jesus is, uh, just got word that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. And Jesus now, man, he needs some time alone, maybe some time to pray, some time to regather his thoughts because this hurts him. And yet when they get to where, where they get to, there's thousands of people waiting for Jesus. Jesus could have said, I'm too tired. I don't have time. I'm going to go away because, man, I lost somebody. How, do, how dare do they expect me to pour out to them when I just lost someone so close to me? Does Jesus just turn them away? No, the Bible says he looked at them and had compassion on them. In other words, we see, we, we, we see they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he stays and begins to teach them. Not only does he feed them spiritually, but the text also tells us he, he feeds them physically. That's the story of the 5,000. Wherever we see people hurting, he wants us to show them compassion. Those hurting people, man, they might be in your schools if you're young here or in school. Those hurting people may be in your workplace. Those hurting people may be even here in the church, in your neighborhood, your family members. They may also be those people that maybe you don't really want nothing to do with. Jesus wants us to always be watching for those who need love and compassion. He wants us to remember what it is that he did for us on the cross. He wants us to remember how much 
he loved us. That he went and died on that cross for our sins so that we might live forever with God. He wants us to show that same love and compassion for others that need it. As the priest and the Levite proved, this was too hard to do. And the reality is that if we're just living by a bunch of laws and and religious rules and we're too busy to do things on our own way, yeah, it is hard. It's very hard to do, impossible to do. But when we believe that Jesus has rescued us from sin and separation from God, we have his love in us. When we believe that, then we can't help but share that love with others. We can't help but share that love with our neighbors. We can't help but share that love wherever it is that we go. You see, Jesus Christ is the only righteous man who has ever lived on this earth. He alone fulfilled the law perfectly, and yet he took our sins upon himself, bearing the curse of death which the law pronounced upon us. The wages of sin is death, but thank God Almighty that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And by trusting his death, burial, and his resurrection on our behalf, our sins are forgiven. And we have received the free gift of eternal life. And since this eternal life is not a result of our good works, thank God for that. But the result of God's grace manifested in and through Jesus Christ. We have nothing to be proud of, church. No basis for feeling self-righteous. And because God has been merciful and gracious unto us, we can show that mercy and compassion towards others. Because grace leaves no place for self-righteousness. It is the basis, though, for compassion. This is what Jesus is trying to help this lawyer to understand through the parable of the Good Samaritan. And just as this despised and rejected Samaritan became the savior to this victim who had fell victim of uh, of being robbed and beaten on this road uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho, so the despised And the rejected Jesus became the Savior in whom we all trust. Let us take heart into that. Let us think about that and be focused on that. First and foremost, we can't get to heaven by our own works. Jesus loved us so much that he knew that. He comes and he dies on the cross for us so that we can have that eternal life. And all he says is, trust in me. Acknowledge me as your Lord and personal Savior. Abide in me. Don't just learn about me, but be with me. Don't just read the word, but allow the word to consume you so that you can now begin to overflow that love to others. Now they tell you, you watch out, you know, who you, who you hang with because eventually you become like them. Listen, I want to be like Jesus. We all should strive to be like Jesus. And so if you're telling me whoever I am always with, those are the habits that start to become in me. Those are the ways that I start to talk. That's the way I start to walk. That's the way I start to think. That's the way I start to love. Then hook me up, Jesus. Let me abide in you, Jesus. Let me live and dwell in you, Jesus. Because Jesus says on your own strength, you can't do this. 
but abide in me, and naturally my love will begin to overflow. It's hard to follow these laws. It's hard even to do everything that we see in the Bible. We get discouraged by it. Jesus says, you're aiming at the wrong target. Come to me. Abide in me. And out of me, my love will start to pour out. The fruits will start to come out. My challenge to you is as this guy who is just following these laws. And listen, the word of God is true. It's real. We need to read it. We need to apply it. But we can't forget that none of it is is possible without us having a relationship with Jesus. As he says, I didn't come to to kind of, you know, overthrow the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to give you exclamation part. These things are possible only through me. And so, listen, take the weight off. Go into Jesus. Spend time with Jesus Christ. And naturally, naturally, you will start to be someone who reflects And when you begin to reflect Jesus because of his love, because of his compassion, because of all of these things, then people would radiate. And it's not about them coming to you. It's about them coming to Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm asking you all stand on your feet. Just close your eyes right where you're at. And some of us here, I just, you know, with your eyes closed, I want you to analyze, I, I want you to ask God, Lord, would you, would you search my heart this morning? You know, maybe some of us here, we've got a little bit of that Samaritan spirit in us. Or not the Samaritan, but some of that, uh, uh, that religious expert in us. Right? And we need to bring that to God. The most important thing that I want you to do, though, I, I want you to ask God, God, is there anything in me, even... As listening to this word, is there anything in me that, that, man, is just not right? Anything in me that is keeping me from really exemplifying what this Samaritan man did that was able to show compassion to someone that maybe I felt like I maybe don't necessarily need to be there for or help, but, but, but is, there so, is there someone that I need to be showing that love towards? Is there something in my heart that is keeping me from doing those things? Is there something in in my heart that is keeping me from from exemplifying your love to this world that's fallen and broken? And just speak to the Lord right there where you are at. For some of us, it's just, man, we just need to be, just need to be closer We need to be, our relationships needs to be up at, an, at just at a higher level. I need to speak to him more. I need to hear from him more. I need to be a part of something like this, about around community a lot more so that I can be encouraged. Father God, I come before you right now and I lift up your church to you. Lord, you know the hearts of each and every single person that is here today and those that are watching us online. Father, Lord, I, I, I come before you, Lord, and I, I, I lift them up, Lord Jesus, that we would know and understand and comprehend by now, Lord, that it is not by works, Lord, that we can inherit your kingdom. Lord, the work has been done. The atonement has been done. 
by you on the cross, Lord Jesus Christ. You ask us not just follow these set of rules. You ask us to come to you, to abide in you, to live in you, to be filled by your love. And naturally, Lord Jesus, the byproduct of that would be for us, that we would be able to share that with others. Some of us that are struggling maybe with that compassion, challenge you, press into Jesus. Press into him like you haven't. Listen, press into him like you haven't in a while. And I can guarantee you that you're going to start seeing that department of compassion in your heart begin to grow. Those of you that are struggling with loving maybe what we would consider to be some outsiders. If you are pressing into Jesus with all that you have, Jesus is going to overturn that. All of a sudden, you're going to start having more love for others. My, my prayer as a pastor is, Lord, help me love the way you love. If you're having issues with any of that, compassion, love, reflecting uh, uh, grace, uh, forgiveness, all of these things. If you're having a problem with that, then a question you need to really say to yourself is, how far or how close am I really to you, God? Because God wants to fill you with all of those things. And if you're not getting none of that stuff back, then maybe you're not getting enough. And if you're not getting enough, it's not because God is not giving it to you. It's because you're not abiding in Christ so that he can give. He just doesn't throw these things in our hearts. We have to go to him with an open heart. Father, Lord Jesus, we just lift you up once again. As we get ready to dismiss today, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that Lord, we would have taken this word that could have meant a million things to a million people here today. Whatever it is that they've got out of it, Lord, I pray, Lord, that they would use it, Lord, as soon as today. And apply it in their lives so that they would not just be hearer of your words, Lord, of your word, but doers of your word. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help them in all the situations that they're in. I pray, Lord, that you would give peace to those who need peace. I pray, Lord, that you would give comfort to those that need comfort. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage those that need to be encouraged. Lord, and I pray, Lord, that you would light a fire under those that need to be lit up, Father God, for you. That you would rebuke that person that needs to be rebuked. You would correct the person that needs to be corrected, God. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you, God. Lord, as we get ready to dismiss, I pray for protection over your people here today. I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to get to their homes safely, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that they've got uh, scheduled for this upcoming week, Lord, no matter what it is, if they're in the workplace, at home, with family, Lord, that they would not forget who it is that you have called them to be. Lord, that you have called them to be the light of this world. That you've called them to be the salt of the earth. That you did not call them to blend in, but you've called them to stand out. And I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, that they would exemplify you. Church, now I leave you with this blessing. We dismiss with this blessing. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you all. May the Lord guide you. May the Lord give you peace. And may the Lord give you strength to endure all that comes your way. In Jesus' holy, mighty name, the church of God says, amen. Amen and amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Don't forget when you walk out to grab some invites for our Easter service. Have a great week.